Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. This is Marissa Carpico, the film editor at ThePopBreak.com. I am here with Matt Taylor. Say hello, Matt. Hi, everyone. Um, he is our TV editor, I should mention. Um, and we are here for our um, way-too-early Oscar podcast, although it is actually the heat, the heart of the uh, Oscar season right now. Um, mm-hmm. And there are so many like good films to finally talk about, because it felt, felt like it t- took a while, maybe. Um, also, I feel like more hopeful than I did the last time, maybe. Like now that Joker's come out and not been great, I'm oh I feel good. We um, made it. We made it to the worst. Even though I will say, whenever I look at um, R.I.P. Box Office Mojo, but with the new Box Office website that I'm using, um, it is um, like when I see Joker's Box Office receipts, I just get sad a little bit. I don't. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about not Joker today. Hopefully. Um, we're going to talk about a number of films, some of them on Netflix, some of them that we finally seen in theaters, some of them we talked about before, but now both of us have seen them. Um, but, uh, I should probably mention that there will be a big parasite discussion at the end that you will, will be filled with spoilers and you can cut off before you, um, we say all that if you haven't seen it, but we'll give you ample warning. <laughs> yes, we'll give you ample warning. But before that, we're going to, I don't think we're going to spoil anything else. There's no need. No. Um, the Lighthouse, which we're going to talk about first, um, maybe is the closest thing, but I, I don't know what you can spoil. <laughs> so, no. Uh, <laughs> it is an experience that you cannot spoil. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of wild. Um, you reviewed The Lighthouse for the site because you had seen it at uh, TIFF, or, TIFF or NIF. Which one? TIFF. Okay. Um, and I finally had the chance to see it. And we're not going to spoil it necessarily, but um, do you want to give them a little teeny tiny summary and what it was what it's about and your thoughts on it yeah um robert pattinson and willem dafoe play these two lighthouse wikis robert pattinson is being trained by willem dafoe and willem dafoe has this really abusive relationship with pattinson and they like constantly are butting heads over everything from whether or not robert pattinson can actually go into the top of the lighthouse to like menial tasks um and the workload and it in the background of this whole thing is these weird supernatural elements of you don't know if Robert Pattinson's going insane or not, or if something genuinely demonic is happening on the island they're on. And I I love this movie. Um, I loved it at Toronto. You can listen to my thoughts on that. And I reviewed it shortly after Toronto, so the rev- um, that review is from my first viewing. Um, but watching it a second time just cemented, like, I think this movie is, like, excellent, probably going to be my top ten. Uh, I love the way it's this intense match between two great actors it's so i mean like like it's so queer in everything like the first time i watched it i remember thinking like almost being like gaslit of sort of like no one in the crowd reacted to it being queer no one was asking about it and i was kind of like maybe i'm just projecting but watching it a second time and reading a lot of interviews with the cast i was like no this movie is very very queer and it's just like i saw some tweet of like it's about um (laughs) Two su- um two subs. We don't want to admit um, that they're both subs fighting to see who's dom, and it is that's a hundred percent accurate. It is this. It is really a wonderful, just odd little movie that I find so fascinating and and weirdly haunting. 
Wow, that is quite a reading. And and like sounds like a joke, but really it is about uh, dominance and submission and and uh, fully has a sexual element to it. I mean, like mm. one of the first things um I don't I mean, I this is not necessarily a spoiler, but like um I, like anything that happens in the film, I suppose you could <laughs> consider a spoiler, but like whatever, this is minor. Um one of the first things that like Pattinson uh, sees uh, Defoe's character doing is is like you know jerking off. Um, he like sees it through a peephole essentially. Like he's fixing the roof and he looks down through the roof, the hole in the roof, and he sees you know writhing going on. But like there's a lot of masturbation in it, uh, both watched and unwatched. So it's like that's a theme. It's like a theme. It's not yeah. <laughs> like. A, not necessarily a spoiler, but like it's part of it. All that sexuality is really deeply rooted in everything that's going on. And like I knew all that going in because like you know I I've heard you talk about it, and there had been so much talk about it for months. And like it's it's deeply homoerotic, but like I um I don't know like it didn't work for me a ton. Um, and I think it's part of, partially like especially in comparison to Parasite, which we'll talk about later, like there was so much hype on that that I was like, oh, this is going to be a disappointment. And I didn't think that was a disappointment. But this one, I was like, oh man, I wish I hadn't heard so much hype because like, I just, I I don't know what I wanted else from it, but like, I don't know. It just didn't like blow my mind in the way that it has so many people. And I was like, that damn it. Like, I feel like I got a, you know, I got screwed out of a a more enjoyable (laughs) film going experience. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, but it is it is really well made and like the thing about it for me is that it it feels like an old horror movie like a silent horror picture or an early horror movie in a way that like I don't think anything I have ever seen has managed before because it it's not just like the aspect ratio which is, which is one three three but like it's also I don't know the dialogue is sort of baroque in a way that like older horror movies were and and the camera work is like. There's a bluish tinge, which is which you often see in like old film stock, which is degraded or, or has been colorized. Um, but there's also something like murky in the frame that a works for what's going on because we're we're never quite sure what's going on until sort of the end. But I mean, you could argue that none of it is is real or whatever. Um, but like, I don't know. There's a murkiness to the the picture that feels like. Like how, like watching Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or something. There's there's mm-hmm. something like I don't know, really really extreme about it, and it's all deliberate. But I and I like the mood and stuff, and I think like Eggers is still such an exciting director. But this one didn't quite like come together for me uh, completely. Um, but I, and I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe it's just that like I don't know. Like I don't. I'm not sure what it's point is or not its point but like what it's ideologically trying to say like uh, I thought there was so much in in the witch that like you could pick out and sort of extrapolate from and you could see it read it in different ways but uh, this one I didn't know how many ways that you could read it and if I was if any of them were satisfying to me basically you know what I mean yeah, uh, it is funny that for as much as like there is this queer reading to it of it being sub and dumb it is a movie that you can um, either pull something out of or like it might not be saying anything and it, it like it is it's in even with my queer reading of it like I like the very ending which we won't spoil like I don't quite know how that feeds into that reading of it it's just um yeah. it's it's an odd little movie and also I totally get what you mean about the hype because you know 
Um, my feelings on A24 are well documented. They're doing so much good for supporting the indie market and bringing movies to you know local suburban theaters like mine. But um, the A24 hive is real and very loud and can be like – I think set expectations a little too high for certain movies or just like warp what you expect a movie will be like. Like they're selling like merchandise for this movie and everything. And it's like, I don't know, like, I don't know if we need that, but also, you know, make your coin. (laughs) It's 24, like keep doing the good work. It's, it's just odd. Like I always, um, I think I talked about this on the podcast for my, for our TIFF recap. Um, like when I saw it at Toronto, there were these just like boys there who were so, hyped about the movie before it even started and we're being so like vocal about how like it's the new a24 picture and i'm so like happy to be here for a24 and like i'm just like all right chill like it's like it's like like that their fan base is an odd fan base so it's like no i i know a couple guys like in my personal life who bought like hunted down the posters before it came out before they'd even see it seen it and i was like yeah and like i mean like the teaser the original poster where that's just the lighthouse not the two of them is is great but like that's a gamble to me Uh, really like it's it's a good image to have but like i have to really like a movie to buy its posters all i'm saying yeah that's just this like you know i will never complain about a24 i think it's incredible that this movie even played at my local um theater and the 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 response from the crowd indicated that it might have been a bad choice but um i'm happy they're doing it but yeah it's like it is a movie that i i love deeply but i like i think it it does not hold a candle to the witch for one thing and um like yeah it is one where i think I don't quite know if it's saying anything. I just think it has like these interesting queer elements to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and I like, I had the thought afterwards that like, it doesn't necessarily need to say anything. Like it, it works as a sort of like a fable of, of horror and, you know, eroticism and all this, all these elements. And like, but I just, I don't know. I, I wanted something else from it. I, I don't know. As a, as a sort of like, shanty t- sea tale of like nightmares it was it, it's fine but like i don't know it just didn't i think it might have been too long on some level like it it gets a little repetitive uh in the middle section i would say um because a lot of a lot of the stuff is the same level like it's it's kind of the the tone is like insane from the beginning basically so it's mm-hmm. not like it ramps up do you know what i mean like no it starts at 10 like it is yeah, just yeah it starts at a 10 and then just like weird shit happens at a 10 so like i think it would have been more effective for me if it were a little shorter and like you could spend less time with the defoe character or like you know what what eventually happens to all of the characters happens sooner because it would be it would feel like a ramp up instead of just a sort of sitting and waiting and sitting and waiting and like they're sitting and waiting, but like the audience doesn't necessarily have to feel that in this way because it, I don't think that's its intention is to let you make you feel that. I think it's because realistically the way it elides time and jumps around and, or maybe it doesn't elide time, whatever mm-hmm. the way it plays with pr- perspective is it doesn't necess- necessitate the f- sense of waiting, I- even if they are possibly waiting for a long time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It like um it it feels like there there is a stretch in the middle 
that does feel somewhat repetitive, and especially on a repeat viewing, like knowing what's going to come, I found myself getting a little more like, when is it going to get there and everything? Because I think the last 20 minutes are so effective and like deeply terrifying. Like, it, it, like do you find the movie scary? I'm very curious. People either find it scary or don't find it scary at all. I'm noticing. Um, I don't know. I don't think I do. I'm someone who dressed as Cthulhu for Halloween. I'm, I'm very open to like a sea related um, sort of fish horror, if you will. Uh, not that there's, that's not necessarily what's going on here, but it's more psychological in nature, but there are, you know, suggestions and, and I, they could happen, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I don't think I found it very scary partially because I think it took too long to get there. I think if it had been a tighter film, I would have been more dialed in, but I think like the, this, the sort of rep- repetition of the middle really broke that tension for me. And I don't think it ever quite got it back. Unfortunately. Interesting. I, I find this movie, like in the same way of the witch, like scary on this like level of like deeply psychological of just like yeah. he is so good at creating the feeling of watching a dream. Um, like in a way that's similar to like how he felt about annihilation, I think, of mm. um like it's just this imagery that you can't quite put together and it happens so matter of factly like there's no build up to it and it just in a way that i find effective where it's like suddenly you're forced to like your mind's forced to register of like what am i looking at exactly and it like very much gets under my skin um there's some imagery in like the fight like the climatic scene between pattinson and defoe um that just like really like shocked me and bothered me on like a good le- in a good way that I don't know like Eggers knows how to bother me like he, he like the witch and this had just some images that really stuck with me but yeah. I will say the witch no. is a much better film yeah I mean it's unfortunate because I don't think anything was quite as chilling as, as some of the images and, and stuff in that film but like there is dread all over it and I just wish it got to I don't know I just wish it delivered on that dread faster and and like I, I don't know, I, but I will. The final shot is incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. really striking. And there are some shots in it that are really striking. Um, but I don't know. It, like it, I think it just gets too obsessed with the sparring, which is part of what makes it so interesting. But like a lot, a lot of those sparring scenes don't aren't different enough from each other to like really add to the to it all. And I think it like again. I think it's good. I just don't think it's. I don't know if I'll, I'll probably watch it again someday, but like, I don't know. Uh, I, I, there's something that didn't quite work for me with it, unfortunately. Mm. I, I will say it also, I might've been taken out of it a little bit in the last 20 minutes or so because uh, someone in my theater who was sitting in my row lost his phone in the reclining seats and was leaving early for some reason and spent 10 full minutes crawling around and moving his seat uh, in an attempt to find the phone. And then lightly cussing to himself. That is that would bother me so deeply. <laughs> he very luck- luckily for him because I was really in as part like in in you know commune with the film was about to get stand up and beat the shit out of him. I was like gonna push him over. I was like you make fully, Defoe proud. <laughs> yeah, I was fully prepared to like. I was uh, Pattinson finally lashing out after too much abuse. I was going to lose it. I like could not handle it. It was it was driving me nuts. And finally, he left, and I was like, "Thank God," because I was about to go ballistic. 
It's absolutely about to go ballistic. God. You have horrible theater experiences. I like your stories always end up being like some person was ter- I'm like, God, what happens in Brooklyn? <laughs> like this is the thing. I saw it at ten forty at night at the Battery Park theater. So there's no reason for this to happen on a Friday. God. I don't know. Oh, four people in the theater. That's so annoying. Um, yeah. Really fast, though, since you predicted that Defoe might win supporting actor, are you holding to that prediction? No, I think it's too weird. Um, I want, I actually, I, 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 Pattinson, who we both talked about as being stupid hot in this film in a way oh that I've never felt. I'm happy you brought it up. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it's too on brand for me to bring it up, but I'm happy you talked about it. I can't believe we held back so long for not mentioning it because, holy shit, the whole time I was like, god damn, I cannot wait for that Batman shit. I'm ready. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I've watched a lot of his work. I think most of it. And I've never thought he was actually hot, but I was like having an issue during this. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Just that, that dumb facial hair. I don't know what was going on. He was also like scantily clad the whole time. And all of that's deliberate, you know? I mean, I think all of that's deliberate. Um, But yeah, holy shit. He's really weird in it and really good and really super hot. And like, I, I think it's probably too, all of those things are probably too much for, voters for best actor um but man i he he would be an interesting like inclusion in that honestly like if if he would campaign i think it would be worth his time yeah i think he's wonderful i think he's better than defoe even though i like defoe quite a bit um i agree i don't think like people were really predicting for a while like 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 even today like gold derby like defoe is making like the, the five for a lot of like the predictions and i'm like i don't know like this movie, like we're giving the academy a little too much credit i think if they nominate yeah. this and maybe i'll be wrong and i i do think defoe wants it on some level um like i think you know he pr- rightly i think feels probably snubbed for the florida project and i think wants that makeup oscar but um yeah. like i don't know if this is it but you know, I do think he's um, he's great, and I think Pattinson's phenomenal. I, I he constantly impresses me, and yeah, I agree. As someone who never quite got him as like a sex symbol, him in suspenders, um, like horrifyingly masturbating, I was like, damn, why is this working for me? Like <laughs> totally, totally. It's yeah, like, like, and he's it's he's he's involved in a lot of body horror kind of shit in this, and I was still like, yep, would still would still absolutely fuck him in this moment. I can fix him. <laughs> that was like my thought watching him in this movie. <laughs> um, I'm nah. not going to say what what I said on Letterbox, but for those interested, I make a pretty heinous joke in that that review. So please go ahead and read that, and it'll tell you how much I was into him. Well, I will just say for people who want to look at your review, and we don't want to give the spoilers, the scene you reference in that joke, I both times gasped in the theater like what a what a line like what a line in a movie that i did not expect the first time and was so excited to see again the second time and um god i i don't know i this movie just gets me going in many ways um it's such a hard turn because it it, it's all not explicit until that moment and then it's mm -hmm. like holy shit they both know they both know what and then the (laughs) the shot that follows it goddamn goddamn (laughs) um i will say without speaking of shots and oscar chances um I could see this leaking in the cinematography. I think that the cinematographer yeah. branch will probably like go nuts for this movie. Um, I don't know. Yeah. 
Thank you, A24. That's my my take. Thank you, A24. <laughs> for so much. For so that much. So funny. Um, okay, let's talk about... <laughs> We're dialing down why now. We, <laughs> why don't we talk about... Um, I was going to say let's do a Netflix one, but let, let's actually just go straight into the um, Defoe's other possible Oscar contending role. Although I don't think the film is good enough now that we've both seen it um, to to garner that um, motherless Brooklyn written and directed well adapted and directed by uh, Ed Norton. Um, do you want to tell the people what it's about? Yeah, it is based on a book which is um, set in the 90s when it was published, but for whatever reason, Edward Norton moves the story into the 1950s. Um, and it is about a because race. Yeah, but we, we'll we'll get into it. Um, it is a, it is about a private investigator who is um, his he has Tourette's for one thing. Even though the funny thing is, like, I mean, like the the movie. Let's just say it like is not very sensitive or interesting in the way it depicts Tourette's. But like, also what they're describing is more along the lines of OCD anyway. So it is just like it's an odd. He has, like, movie mental illness, basically. and um, But he's a private investigator. His mentor, played by Bruce Willis in a brief scene, is killed trying to... Um, and it looks like he was trying to prevent some sort of crime from being carried out. And it's connected to this very powerful real estate um, magnate, played by Alec Baldwin. And he basically finds himself falling down this conspiracy theory involving low-income housing and... Um, the um and, and black neighborhoods in Brooklyn, um and he fa- like falls in with an activist by Gugu Mabatha Raw who seems to be the target of many of the criminals and it's this whole odd little um conspiracy thriller as Edward is trying to figure out what exactly the criminals want and like what the stakes are. Yeah, that is a good summary of a film that boy does it go go all over the place. Um, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I will just say I was dreading this film. I actually like really oh. was thinking like of not seeing it, especially when it um, like was going to underperform and like critics really didn't like it. So I was like, all right, like its chances of getting an Oscar nomination are super low. So I don't feel like I need to see it. But I had off and I was like, let me go in and watch this movie on a s- Friday afternoon. And I was like somewhat pleasantly surprised. I'll like I'll, I'm on the record as like I'll always take an interesting failure over like a standard boring one. And um, like this movie does a lot wrong. Like I said, its treatment of Tourette's or mental illness in general is like really poor and embarrassing on many levels, from like the writing to like the way Edward Norton plays the character. But um, and also I think. Moving into the 50s just falls flat for me on two levels because on one hand, um, I just – it feels like this like really empty aesthetic decision of just like – like we want to evoke great detective films. But he only does it in like the most basic way of like having very rudimentary dialogue that's like calls to mind like 50s noir and then also like, like a few – just like key moments play pay tribute to different films and it's like it feels so empty and then on top of that and maybe this is me overanalyzing like the mystery involves obviously gentrification and um like different elements of that and like race racism in real estate and i almost wonder if there's a reading where this like by setting it in the 50s it's almost like he's implying this is an issue that like 
is is like exclusive to the fifties and like I don't know like I don't know if that's me just like being too cynical but I almost got the vibe yeah I don't know if I got that because to me it constantly seems as if the film is is saying like hmm doesn't this seem familiar yeah I mean that might be the case that might be the case especially with um with Alec Baldwin who like we'll get to it is like is playing Trump basically (laughs) um even though I think that might just be a curse of like he will forever play Trump from now on (laughs) yeah but But no um, he's like metaphorically playing uh someone who has been been sued for for um housing discrimination based on race before yes so I'll forget that I I like there, I probably was just being too cynical in the theater and thinking the worst. But um, weirdly, as much as this movie has problems, like it has a lot that works a lot. Like I was, I was never bored. I found like the mystery itself kind of, kind of involving, which is a miracle for a two and a half hour film. And um, Guguma Bathara is wonderful in it. Like I'm happy she has this opportunity, even though I don't think it's going to help her career anymore. Um, mm-hmm. That poor girl needs a new manager. And um, she's so good and has. Keep been given garbage, garbage for years insane. now. It is insane. And then there is a 20-minute stretch near the end of the film. It's not the last 20 minutes, but there is like a good 20-minute sequence that I think is phenomenal and mm. feels like something from a different movie. Like it there is one shot in that that like it almost looks like they like freeze the frame for a minute because characters hold a pose for a very long time and it like I was like shit like this movie's good I think <laughs> like I remember sitting in the theater being like damn do I like this movie a lot <laughs> and um and the ending can you for say me. what scene without spoiling it because I don't remember I don't I have no idea what you're talking about um there is one I'll, I'll get around to that spoilers like there is one scene of Edward Norton Edward Norton um, running to Gugu Mabatha Raw, where he like grabs her in the hallway and like, yeah. um, and I was like, shit, this movie's good. I think <laughs> like I, yeah. I love that shot. And, um, like, you know, the movie's flawed definitely. And honestly, it's like, I have a list, so it didn't technically cost me anything. If you are paying for movie tickets, you know, there's better things to see, but like, I think it has enough merit to be to be worth talking about. Like, if we had to talk about fucking Joker for an entire Oscar season, like, why not talk about this one too? And yeah. I will say also, I don't know what its chances are, but I would love if it got a Best Original Song nomination because I love the song from it from Tom York. This is wild. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, I, the, I have. I mean, it's funny because you and I rated it the same on Letterbox, but I have much more negative feelings toward it. <laughs> My ratings like, mean nothing on Letterbox. It really is like just yeah, like a gut reaction. I'm thoughtful about them, um, just because, like, I don't know. I like if I because I see so many movies that if I don't rate it realistically, I'm going to forget. You know? <laughs> like, like, I'm going to look back at stuff I saw in January that should be like, God damn, what did I think of that? <laughs> um, anyway. Um, yeah, like I, I don't know. I think that that song is horribly anachronistic, honestly. <laughs> like, in a bad way, in a way that didn't piss me off when it happened in Suspiria, but that I found really clo- like obnoxious in this. Oh, really? Um, I'm the opposite. I hated the song in Suspiria, and I like it yeah. a lot here. Weirdly, <laughs> I didn't like it the first time I saw Suspiria, but I think it it worked better for me the second time. It worked better for me the second time, basically. Interesting. But um, yeah, it, it didn't work for me here. I mean, it makes. I think it makes more sense here, but it still also doesn't make any fucking sense. Like <laughs> neither of them makes sense. But like <laughs> it's all stupid. Um, and I think the directing is a bit genuinely bad in in many moments. Like there are some good scenes, but like woof on some of this shit. Mm-hmm. Like the 
imaginary scenes of um, Bruce Willis walking over a bridge. Brutal. I mean, some of the most brutal shit I've seen in a film made by, like, genuine filmmakers (laughs) (laughs) and stars. Like... Uh, that I haven't seen something that bad that wasn't in an amateur film before, and I was quite shocked that they were in there. Um, that said, the like performances are all really strong from everyone. Um, although Bruce Willis feels a touch miscast. Um, it weirdly was like I, I think Bruce Willis is just not a good actor, but like this is yeah. the most I think he's tried on screen in like maybe fifteen years. <laughs> so Absol- I, was I mean, like, yeah, God bless him for trying, but like, yeesh, yeah. Um, and Raw is Mumbatha Ra is great, but she's like good in everything, so like not a surprise there. And I think actually Alec is really good. Like if I were saying there was some some talk before it came out, like maybe Defoe can transfer his his you know support in the industry to this role, but I don't think there's enough going on in the role. Um, and realistically, if I were going to nominate someone in it, it would be um, Alec Baldwin. Um, yeah, he probably is one of the better performances, I guess I would say. Um, like it's, he's become such like a parody of himself lately and like, I love it, but like 30 Rock definitely like redefined his image in a way that I think is almost like impossible to get out of now. And then him doing Trump constantly on SNL doesn't help it. Um, but yeah, this is, he's good. He's intimidating. Like he, he exerts a lot of like power in it. I don't know. Um. There's some Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross shit in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what do you think of Norton? <laughs> as like an actor, as an actor. Yeah. Bad. Well, oh, in general, fine. It, he, in this, deeply embarrassing in a way that could end his career. Yeah, it's like, it's rough to watch. Like, the decisions he makes to play a character with Tourette's is insane to me. <laughs> um, but I don't know, like... I just don't think he's a great actor. I don't know. I think he, I've liked him a lot. I think he's good in Birdman. I think he's good in Primal Fear. Um, but like in general, I find him like grating <laughs> as like an actor. Um, and then, yeah, I agree. It's this really made me question whether he's a good actor for sure. And then one thing I found very funny about it, and like he has so many character actors who have very specific. Um, personas like he has Bobby Cannavale in a small part mm-hmm. uh Dallas Roberts I want to say his name is who is in um my beloved the good wife um mm-hmm. and like they're all doing their exact thing that like um they're just like Bobby Cannavale is given like the most Bobby Cannavale performance he's like ever given which is saying something <laughs> and um Leslie Mann is in it in like a performance that totally feels like from a different movie where she's like like I, I like Leslie Mann a lot but she's not even trying to evoke the period and it's just playing it like she's in a Jed Avatar movie and what the fuck was that like that's that's the sign of a bad directing choice I mean it's it's bad acting but it's also like if your director has any fucking talent he should say to you what the fuck what the fuck Don't no, keep it's doing insane this. it is an insane performance but I also like her whole character is just being openly a horny for Bobby Cannavale and I'm like I get it but also yeah. like I mean honestly insane. like you know same and also uh, an icon but like <laughs> her mood of the film is the way I felt about most of the film of just like can we go now is this <laughs> is this done yet see it's like funny because like it's not a great movie on any no. level but I weirdly like found it so arresting in a way that like I like I it's I put it in the same um um what's it called like tent with like another Bruce Willis film from this year glass of like 
I won't go to bat saying it's good, but I found it fascinating. And, um, like, I, that's more than I can say for a lot of movies that come out this year. <laughs> oh, see, like, Glass, I can see this. I can't. I just, I can't understand it. Those shots of dream Bruce Willis on the bridge are unforgivable. Um, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I, uh, I think we should move on. Um, Let's go to one of the Netflix films, which I should n- note that I haven't seen any of these um, because we, we consider streaming sites television on our site. So Matt has to watch home. Um, <laughs> well, sure. I'm going to tell them. you which you should watch and which you shouldn't. And spoiler alert, <laughs> you don't have to watch many of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Um, let's talk about Laundromat. One, let's talk about a bad one, The Laundromat. Yeah, it's not the worst film that Netflix has released this year, so it it can wear that badge of honor. But um, yeah, it's not good. Oh, it, question: Is it the other one we're going to talk about, or is it a different one that's the worst? It is. Um, it is one of the other ones we're going to talk. We're talking about three. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to make sure we were going to talk about it because, or else, I wanted the answer. Oh now. no no no! We, oh oh, we will talk about it. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> um, the laundromat is. Um, Basically, Steven Soderbergh riffing on the big short, but um, ex- exploring the Panama um, Papers scandal. And it is quite literally like the most episodic film of the year in just that it like goes around the world showing different people and how they were impacted by the Panama Papers scandal. And um, like the w- it explores money laundering and how it works by showing the different people involved in such scandals and it's a kind of narrated by two of the men who orchestrated the Panama Papers played by Gary Oldman and um and Antonio Banderas and they it's it's somewhat of a comedy but not quite in its tone and the through line through the whole film is Meryl Streep's character who is this um woman whose husband dies and she's not a um awarded her like um let her husband's life insurance because of the panel papers and she basically like leads this quirky investigation through the channel of um money laundering to figure out where her money is and it's just like it's just not well executed it like i like soderbergh but i don't love him and i think this is all like his bad qualities as a filmmaker on display it's very much like like cocky in its execution like he thinks he's like being very smart about it like it's funny i definitely like the big short more than most people in the film world do but like i totally understand the readings of like it's so condescending and smug in the way it's depicting like it's explaining financial the financial literacy element of it but this film makes it look subtle in comparison i really think like it is um it is so like, I mean, they have Antonio Medeiros and Gary Oldman explain how credit cards work. And I'm like, realistically, you pay for Netflix with a fucking credit card. So, like, obviously everybody, um, like, watching this film knows how a credit card works. And it was just insane. Like, I was like, like, it is so condescending in its tone. And um, the humor is not employed well enough to really work. Um, it's Meryl Streep is, like, good in the in the main part she's playing, but... And this is a minor spoiler, but, like, it's history. <laughs> um, like, Meryl Streep plays two characters in the film, which is a weird creative decision in general because no one else does. And the other character she's playing 
involves her doing brownface and um like, oh right you mentioned this yeah, yeah. playing okay. like a latina secretary and it is such a wild miscalculation on i mean obviously on the main level of like it's brownface in 2019 but um it's also just like it's she's actively bad in it like i don't understand what she's going for it's meant to be a joke but i don't know what the joke is i don't know what it's trying to say by having her play two characters like the last scene of the film implies that we're supposed to view these characters as being some sort of like mirror image of each other but i do not see what like the point of it is and it's just it's a really empty movie i think that is not as intelligent in what it's trying to say as it clearly thinks it is one brief subplot in it um which follows a nigerian family and um their attempt to like they're a rich nigerian family and their attempt to use money that doesn't really exist to blackmail one another over family drama um it's that subplot's effective and interesting and i love to see that as its own movie but like the rest of it really is not good gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas are both very bad in it and just like, just skip it. It's a it's it's a movie that I'm happy the Oscar buzz has died already because if we had to talk about it for much longer, I would like it. Just there's no need. There's no need. It's a it's a bad movie. <laughs> oh, that is. I mean, I knew you didn't like it, but I I we hadn't talked about it. Jesus Christ, it sounds really bad. <laughs> you would. I really think I was happy you didn't watch it because I am like Marissa would throw her laptop out like out of the window. Yeah. I think if she watched this. Yeah, I would throw my entire television because it's hooked up to my Roku, so and I really can't afford to get a new one. So thank you for, <laughs> you know, warning me. Um, wow, holy shit! I didn't realize it was that bad. Um, damn. Uh, shit. <laughs> I'm so happy that like, like. Imagine if Meryl Streep is nominated for this movie, and I'm just like, I'm like, please don't. Like, it's like I don't want to have like to talk about this movie anymore, especially with the whole like insane brown face thing about it. Like yeah. I'm like, it's not worth we, it. Listen, we don't, we can't, we can't, we don't have time to cancel Meryl Streep. Life is hard enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't we do another, why don't we just go to the other bad Netflix one, the, the, the King, um, which I, I haven't seen and which I probably won't watch given how you feel about it. Cause it's, it's, it's important to reiterate. You, you didn't like the laundromat, but you hate this one more. Yeah, The King is, I will say, like, my least favorite film of the year so far. Um, And that is something that I do think is more of a me issue, because um, I I can see some audiences maybe watching this and getting some enjoyment out of it, even though I really think it's the sort of thing where it's like, I think at most you will be mildly amused having it on in the background, but um, as you do other things. But... Yeah, this is a film for, um, directed by David McCode, um, who did Animal Kingdom and The Rover, which is a movie I think is very overrated. And um, it's written by Joel Edgerton, who's also in a supporting part. And it is a combination of the Shakespeare plays Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two, and Henry the Fifth, which um, you know I'll just go into it. I am very much of the belief that if you're going to adapt Shakespeare, you need to use his original dialogue because it's like the whole genius of Shakespeare is that his plays are broad melodrama, like, and like, like, like melodrama at its essence. And the genius of that is that you can transport those plays to any time period and keep the dialogue and have it work. Like that's why Romeo plus Juliet 
from Baz Luhrmann works yeah. even though it's in modern times. It's why the production of Hamlet I saw on stage with Oscar Isaac works even though they're doing it as like a Woody Allen-esque Manhattan comedy. Um, it's like like you, like you the genius is the dialogue. If you're not going to use the dialogue, you, what you're just getting is like – bland melodrama that like relies entirely on the idea of who's writing it and the arrogance of anyone let alone Joel Edgerton to think he can write a better script than like Shakespeare essentially it is like such a boring film with just like really bad dialogue that just is like so um perfunctory and just like getting the job done of like moving the scene from point A to point B it Stars Timmy Chalamet as the the titular king and um his like war with war with the French Robert Pattinson giving an insane performance as the um the French king, um, but they like you know I love Timmy we've talked about him before in the podcast everyone loves Timmy Chalamet but between this and Beautiful Boy I really have just realized it's like if he doesn't have a good director it is all of his very um mannered and taught acting skills but going nowhere and he just like he he's not as bad as he's in beautiful boy here but it's not a good performance it is just like it is very much like this like like you could just see him going through what he learned in acting school and it's just boring uh joel edgerton and many other great british actors like um ben Mendelsohn or ben is australian actually but like other um actors who are typically in british costume dramas are all showing up and giving very standard performances and it's just it's like it's such a drag of a movie it just like it takes these great Shakespeare plays and just does it in this incredibly boring way the battle scenes are like very sloppy and poorly done um there's no suspense there's no drama to it it's so afraid of ever leaning into melodrama and it's almost such a serious tone in this like bland score in the background and I just was wondering like who is this for where's the passion no one seems to care that they're doing this film like everyone is just like doing the bare minimum Pattinson is going really really hard into his part as like this like over the top villain but all of his best scenes are already memes <laughs> so like it's the sort of thing where it's like just watch those memes and you get you get the full effect of his of his um, performance. I just, you know, I love that Netflix exists in this space where they're going to greenlight movies that studios aren't greenlighting anymore, including like these sort of, not sort of standal, but like these epic battle films, but like do it good then. <laughs> like if you're going to do it, like it's great that these movies are getting made, but it's like, this movie is so boring and bad. And I just like, I, I'm, I, I was miserable watching it. It's just like, you know, and I, it's like my precious Shakespeare. And I'm just like, what do they do to you? Like, it's it's so bad. <laughs> I, I was so disappointed by the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 it's funny. It's like, I used to think that those, um, have you ever seen the As You Like It on HBO that was starred Bryce Dallas Howard a couple years ago? I'm sure I've mentioned it. I have not watched it, but it's always like up there on HBO. And I'm like, I should just do it one day, but maybe not. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. I mean, there's some questionable race stuff now, but it is well cast considering it's like largely colorblind because mm. um, it, it, it's set in Japan. But there's like black people in it. And, you know, it's like it It makes it's it, they didn't give a shit. It's wonderful. But like I used to think those films look sort of like. But his style was always so goofy in a way that I didn't like. But, like, it's seeing shit like – I mean, I haven't seen this, but seeing shit like with um, that Chris Pine film with Florence Pugh where, like, it's just so self-serious. And that's not a Shakespeare thing, but, like, 
it's obviously trying to be. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all of that, the seeing the way like these humorless men who are just like clearly in a sort of homophobic way, afraid of like melodrama, mm-hmm. like adapt these kind of stories. It's just like, Jesus Christ, like get, get over it. Like get over yourselves. This is bullshit. This is shit. This is shit. Exactly. Like, that as you like it is so fun. And like, that's what these should be. These, so many of these things were comedies and like played for like poor people. Get over it. It's such a fundamental misunderstanding of how, these plays work and everything like that. And it's why, like, you know, I've only seen clips, so I don't want to do, like, a bear, uh, an, a judgment of the film, but, like, that Haley Steinfeld, Romeo and Juliet from a few years ago, like, is, a, like, a worse adaptation than... It's bad. The I Leo- can confirm that it is bad. I'm sure. And it's a worse adaptation than the Leo DiCaprio one. Like, that movie, the Leo DiCaprio, Kate Claire Danes, Romeo and Juliet, is one of the best Shakespeare adaptations I've ever seen because it totally gets the play, even if it's set in like the 90s with guns and in California. But like it understands the nuances and like, what he's doing and that he's a beautiful writer. And I'm like, it's just watching this. I was just like fucking Joel Edgerton. I want to root for you, but stop. Like, it's like, this is just not good. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because, like, he is someone who a couple of years ago, everybody sort of thought, like, oh, is he going to be an exciting directing voice? And, like, the answer is pretty clearly no. Yeah, it's like, you know, Boy Erased is a better film than this and has some merit to it. But it, again, is something where he was just not the right fit to do that movie. And then on top of that, um, like, I like The Gift enough, that thriller he did, but it's like... Oh, yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah, it's, like, fun, and I'm like, give me more of that. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you... Why even bother to adapt Shakespeare if you're not going to do Shakespeare? Like, what, like, people don't give a shit. <laughs> like, it's like, 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 oh, like, I'm really happy I saw this, like, bland King Henry, like, film. It's like, no, it's like, give us the Shakespeare. Fuck, like, Joel Edgerton, come on. Yeah. At the very yeah. least, Timmy looks good in it. <laughs> the very least of me looks good. Yes, I mean that's surprising given that haircut. But you seem to like the haircut, which is really a, a, a shock to me. It works in the context of the film. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember seeing the pictures and I was like, why would they do that to such a beautiful boy? Um, <laughs> the beautiful boy. He's the titular <laughs> beautiful boy. The titular beautiful boy. Oh man. At least we have um, another woman coming where he's going to wreck my heart. <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait. Um. Let's talk about Harriet, which I uh, reviewed for the site. Um, And I feel like we may have talked about it on the pod detrimentally uh, early on because the trailer, listen, it's corny. It's bad. Mm -hmm. That is one of the worst trailers I've ever seen. And I've talked about how bad that trailer is and how embarrassing the movie looked with multiple people, like half a dozen people, I think, Mm -hmm. which is surprising, which is why it was when I was watching the film, I was so surprised to say like, oh, this is actually good and I'm enjoying it. Um, You can read my review on the site for why I enjoy it, but I think there's a lot of clever stuff in it. The way it uses music is really incredible. It's a, it's a biopic about Harriet Tubman starring Cynthia Erivo, um, which like, when it happened, I was like, what weird stunt casting? And also the whole thing is stunt cast. I mean, the whole thing is stunt cast. It's all just like Broadway, Tony winners and, and pop stars, like just running around in the South for some reason. Um, Janelle Monet plays a free woman, a woman who was born free in, in Philadelphia, who like takes um, Harriet under her wing. And there's some like bizarre homoerotic stuff going on. And I don't know if that's intentional. Um uh, or maybe it's just because like Janelle Monet is playing the character or whatever. 
Um, and then Leslie Odom Jr. is is uh, is part of the Underground Railroad and and introduces uh, Harriet to it. And I'm I again, all of these things should not work, but it is actually quite arresting. And it's like, I don't know, the way it conveys this the story, and it it, it is corny, but not in a way that's like I rolling like a lot of it just works and I, I i'm I, I wrote the review but i'm still not quite sure why it worked for me so well but you seem to like it as well so why don't you talk about it a little bit yeah um i'll just say like you know i i as a film stripped of context it's it's it's, it's effective it's servicely made like it does yeah. it does the exact job that it's set out to do I liked. I'm a big fan of Cassie Lemon's directorial debut, *Ease Bay, Bayou*, um, which if no one, if you haven't seen it and you're listening, like absolutely seek it out. Masterpiece from the '90s that like has unfortunately kind of been forgotten about, and she's never really been given the chance to direct something that like as big as she deserves for someone who directed such a great film. But um, like that film has a lot of ma- magic realism and. The element that I think is strongest in this film, and I don't mean this in like a dismissing way toward like. Like I, the film is about, like uses Harriet's religion and faith in a way that I think is very interesting. Where obviously she was genuinely very religious, and that's like valid and helped her through this like impossibly hard period. But I like the way the film uses religion almost like magic realism, not in the way where it's saying like this isn't happening, but like in the way her faith is incorporated into the story. And I found that very interesting and a very Cassie Lemons. And I was like, this is like you know the rest of this film is pretty serviceably directed and like the workman like style that most biopics are helmed with and i think that touch of hers is where i'm like give like this movie did great at the box office like give this like i hope she gets the clout to do something like that on a bigger level going forward because it like i i think that's a fascinating touch from her but what were you gonna say or no i was just gonna say like i think the the faith stuff works really well in it and like it also helped that I had talked. I had seen um, that film uh, a few weeks ago. The um, I talked about it on the the pod. It's a documentary about um, the Charleston um, shooting at the, the church um, from by Dylan Roof uh, that I can't remember the name of. Right? Oh, Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the way historically faith plays into you know slavery and 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 uh, eventually the post Civil War like mentality for freed slaves in the south but like yeah that i don't know that's i really connected with that and found it like really moving some of Mm -hmm. it like yeah in a way that i yeah that i just didn't expect because like i was so ready to think that it wasn't you know that it was just sort of cheesy you know and especially after we've watched so many real religious pictures recently for our our um you know our past oscar pod like all of those are so obnoxious and this was not. And, and the way that the hymns play into the character, because uh, the thing you're referring to that is part of history. So it's not necessarily a spoiler, but um, she, Harriet Tubman had been injured as a child. She she's beaten up by her, you know, slave owners. Um, and they, and she had visions basically after that, like she would have like uh, seizures essentially. I mean, one assumes that they were seizures, but she would, she called, they call them spells in the movie where she would, um, like see things and sort of pass out. And in the film, that's how she communicates with God. And it should be totally stupid, but it like, it's done with such like winning sincerity that it totally fucking works for some reason. Like Arivo just plays it off really well in a way that like speaks to what a good actress she is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And like the hymn stuff works so well for me. Like the way that the slaves are communicating, which is again, also historically accurate, like communicating through hymn hymns that they would sing. Mm. Um, and the way that she specifically does it is so interesting. The way that she's calling, uh, you know, slaves to, to, to the underground railroad by singing, go down Moses, or <clears throat> when she says goodbye to her mother, like all that shit is so effective. And just like an element of like, truth but also something that felt like elevated in in a magical realist way that like made this feel i don't know it made it more effective than the average biopic for me absolutely and i think it's important to just like i i, I got to thinking a lot about the way we view biopics in mm-hmm. the um in the oscar race and i i try to find it but i i can't find it i saw this great tweet this week mm-hmm. that was like if you've if you sat through Darkest Hour, if you sat through on the basis of sex, or like all these films about like these biopics about white people that are safe, it's like why would you not want to sit through this film? Like it's like it's like yeah. it's like this I, I think, you know, we as in film culture have moved on past biopics, I think. Like I I, I mm-hmm. like I think we're all kind of tired of them. And understandably they're more often than not, very safe, and then more often than yeah, not, yeah. The Darkest Hour should have never been nominated for anything. It's a piece of shit. But and like on the basis of sex is better. But like, yeah, it's it's completely true. It's like the they're such Oscar bait, and most of them are so bad. Yeah, and it's like you know, I we're moving past that, but don't hold that against this. I'm like, it's in, it is insane yeah. to me more than anything that like. It took this long for it to be a Harriet Tubman film. Like it's like the sort of thing where if you're talking about biopics Same. that should be Same. made, it's like how is that not one of the first historical figures you think of doing a biopic for? And yeah, what um, the fuck? Yeah, so it just like you know, and I really just think like you you know as a film goer if a biopic will work for you. It's like mm-hmm. I tend to like those films a little bit more. Like you know, the other film with the tweet didn't mention on the basis of sex. The other film the tweet mentioned was um, Imitation Game. And it's Ugh, like fucking also not very good. I see. I like the Imitation Game, and I like these films that, and on the basis of sex, I like a lot. I even have some things I like about Darkest Hour, and it's like mm-hmm. those films I find interesting because I like history, and I don't think any of them are particularly well made. And um, but like I enjoy them on some level, and it's like this film is equally. I'm like I enjoy this on a level as like a piece of purely standard filmmaking that is interesting, and it's like. Like, I hate the way so many film goers and, like, Oscar people are just so quick to, like, if a movie's not brilliant and a movie's not terrible, just dismiss it all out. And it's like, this movie is fine. It will not end up in my top ten list. I don't even know if, like, Cynthia Erivo will make my five for Best Actress because, like, they're, it's just such a stacked year for Best Actress. But, okay. you know, it's a good movie and it's like, just let it exist as a good movie and then – I'm thrilled to show out the box office because I'm like, let's get Cassie Lemons a bigger budget for her next movie because I want to see what she can do going forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that too. Cause I actually say that like basically near the end of my, my review of like, you know, far shittier movies have been made about far less deserving figures. And this is a good one that is about someone who absolutely deserves to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Like it's completely worth seeing. You know, I would, it's kind of, it's the kind of thing that I would say like, yeah, if you're looking for a movie to see, that's not going to like horribly, uh, you know, upset you or something, you know, if you're, you know, like, even though this is about fucking slavery for God's sake, like this is a good film to watch. It is 
it actually earns being uplifting in a way that so many of these like pictures about race in the Civil War just don't fucking earn because as like and it also feels resonant to now in some ways i mean inevitably it, it does and but, it's very sensitive in the way it's a, like it's a pg-13 i think it's definitely yeah. not r and it's um like it's very sensitive in the way it's, it's a pick slavery like it's never it never feels like misery porn or anything like that it's like it's yeah. brutal of course but like n- not but in the, a way that's the, horrifying the thing about that to me that that i think spoke the most about it and i think the first the first element that really turned me into enjoying the and like realizing like this is a different perspective than we've ever gotten on this kind of story before um or this type of storytelling even was there is an implication that she has been assaulted by the slave master her slave her master's like son played by Mm -hmm. joe alwyn and we don't have to fucking see it you can just imply it we fucking get it we know what history is Mm -hmm. like we know how common that was you just don't have to show it because there's no reason it does not like it there's you just don't have to show it you can imply it that's fine that's all you have to do like it's uh, like i was like thank god someone finally said we don't have to do this to our our here our female hero especially one of color who was in a fucking horrible position in terms of like the power dynamics going there thank god somebody finally said you know what no we actually don't have to put that on screen no one needs to fucking see it we've seen it too many goddamn times mm-hmm. no like, i i yeah. agree it's um I, I love the way it depicts, like, just it, it, its tone. Like, it's like, it is like you say, like, yeah. it's, it's weird. Like, obviously, not all of it, but like, by the ending, it is a, it is an inspiring film by the end. Like, it, it, and like, I think something that, I mean, it got an A plus cinema score. Like, I think it will speak to mainstream audiences in that way. Yeah, I hope so. Cause I, I found it really, really enjoyable. I think there, there, there's absolutely still going to be like a film Twitter contingent that is going to scoff at it. I had some little shits working for some fucking website somewhere that probably that gets a shitload of, I'm not going to say where, but like just so above it and by the, like including fucking joking around during the credits instead of just leaving when, and, and they had to be shushed, shushed by someone who said like, shut up. Like, why are you still in here? joking around making a show of like your disdain for this film get out of here get out of here that's like, insane so god we'll talk about who that was after the after the podcast uh, <laughs> I, I i will say i don't actually know but i have an idea um but anyway uh yeah so that is harriet i i definitely encourage people to see it you know see that instead of joker at all frankly or any of the garbage that's being released right now um Let's do the Netflix one, and then we'll go into uh, Parasite. Um, Let's talk about Dolomite. I was going to see the original Dolomite movie before this podcast, but I ended up not going because my subway wasn't working, and I was seeing it at, like, 9.30 at night, and I was like, well, how am I going to get home at, like, 11.30 at night? This is not good, so I didn't see it. And then I didn't watch Netflix. So this is all all you, Matt. Why don't you talk about Dolomite uh, is my name. Well, Dolomite is my name is the only Netflix film released so far that you should watch, for one thing. <laughs> um, but, no, all just aside, it's a very, very charming film about Rudy Ray Moore, who is this legendary comedian um in the 1970s who um in an attempt to just like make it in hollywood which is something he really dreamed of doing he creates this character called named dolomite who um starts as a stand-up act but then he eventually gets a chance to make a film um like the legendary black exploitation film dolomite which is part of the main um 70s movement of black exploitation from like you know shafts and all those other films like one of the 
yeah. One of like the main figures, and it um, it you know pe- people have been calling it like Ed Wood for Black Rotation, and I think that's like a somewhat fair um, film, even though I think it's a little more um, I don't know, like affectionate to its subject. Like, it's not quite viewing them as being like bad in the sense that. Um, Ed Wood's films are like bad. It's more about how these films filled a space that was not being served. There's there's one really brilliant scene where um, Rudy Raymore and his friends go to see the front page, the um, the Jack Lemmon film, because it's getting great reviews, and they're the only black people in the theater, and all the white people are laughing hysterically, and they're they're not like getting the jokes, and they realize <laughs> that like it's like honestly one of the best scenes in the film. And <laughs> sorry, that's. <laughs> no, it's a wonderful scene that I think shows the way it's like, you know, unlike Ed Wood, it's like these movies are not like about being bad. It's not about showing affection to someone who's making a bad movie. It's about these movies like serving a certain purpose and the idea of film criticism and the film industry in general, like only catering to one specific viewpoint, which I think is like a, a really powerful message that the film does a pretty good job of exploring. It's also just very charming. There's a lot of... um funny sequences in it there's like one hilarious sequence that many people are referencing where the sex scene in dolomite is like very famously over the top like i mean like literally like the walls are shaking and it's like just this insane scene and the scene of them filming that sex scene is very funny and clever uh much of the conversation in the like around this uh, the oscar was with this movie is about eddie murphy um, I absolutely think he deserved his Oscar for Dreamgirls, and it's insane that he did not win for that year, um, as much as I love Little Miss Sunshine. But, so, I I don't, it's funny, I don't love his performance in this. It's a good performance, nothing wrong with it. It's just, like, this is an, a really large ensemble, and I think he's almost out like outshined by his other co-stars like you have wesley snipes doing a really good performance as like the director of dolomite um there is this incredibly exciting new actress named um divine joy randolph who plays one of the female leads in the film uh, in in dolomite who is she's like she's brilliant it's an incredible she's an incredible discovery um, there's one scene where she talks about what it feels like to be represented on screen in the movie as like an uh, plus size black woman that is like incredibly powerful and like a serious moment in the movie. And then you even have like Keegan Michael Kay in a very small part that where he's really really funny. So it's like Murphy is good, but it's like in an odd way his performance is not what I walked away from the film remembering the most. But he's good, and I am all here for a makeup Oscar for Dreamgirls. So you know. If he gets it, which I think he'll be nominated at the very least, like all for it. And also the one other nomination that I think absolutely must happen is uh, in costume design. Ruth E. Carter did the costume. She just won for Black Panther. And I I think she's one of the the most exciting costume designers working right now. Yeah, that's I mean, it's funny. Like, I remember I've seen the trailer for that a couple of times. They play it at the Alamo, um, which is interesting because at the end, when the Netflix thing comes up, there's often a. Oh, sort of <laughs> you know, like, or like shock that it, that's like playing there. Um, but yeah, like I remember th- well, the first time I saw the trailer, I was like, God damn, these costumes are fucking incredible. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Like, I mean, that's, I, I've only seen the trailer and I agree with, with you is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's such a uh, unique look. She's so exciting. I love her. Yeah. Is Divine, Divine Joy Randolph was that girl who has that fabulous line in the, in the trailer where she's like, 
you know, I've never seen a girl who looks like me on screen because mm-hmm. she's um she's she's a you know uh, a big girl and like you know she says that and I was like I like I even I was in a I don't remember what screening I was in because the the trailer gets different reactions depending on what I'm seeing I think I might have been seeing Hustlers or something but like women clapped <laughs> in the audience <laughs> like from that line in the trailer so I'm sure her performance is fantastic yeah she's wonderful I would love. I, I again, it's, Netflix is still it is like this hard to qualify um, or quantify force in the Oscar race, but I'd love to see her nominated supporting because she's so good. Um, yeah, it's just it's a really sweet movie. I hope people. It seems like people are, are seeking it out. People are talking about it quite a bit, and it's like you know, Marriage Story is this masterpiece, and Irishman is supposed to be a masterpiece, and I'm I'm happy this seems to be like the third one that people are noticing, where it's like it just. It's good, and I I think the Academy will will notice it. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. We'll talk about it someday, I'm sure. But the, it was shocking when Murphy didn't win that. Um, let's talk about Parasite. We're going to um, – before we jump into spoilers, we're going to give our sort of vague thoughts on it uh, first and maybe a little uh, – as much as a plot, of a plot summary as we can. Because um, you've been on the pod on the record saying, like, you shouldn't spoil – or you should you should go in blind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you want to talk about what it's about and, and maybe do a quick summary review of your views, even though you've told the people many times? Yeah, um, very quickly. It is um, the, the most basic plot line about a poor family in South Korea who are desperate for cash. And one by one, they start working for this rich family. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, yeah. and it, it is a masterpiece. It is easily my favorite film of the year. I, um, I, I think it's, it's such a vital film. You know, the, the theme of the year seems to be eating the rich, like in the, in film and television. I mean, between succession, between hustlers, yeah. this, um, and I think this is like the movie about income inequality and just like, like it stuns me. I've seen it now twice. Um, I dragged my friends to it the minute it was playing in the theater remotely close. So I had to go into New York for it, but, yeah. um, um, I, even though now it's playing at all four of my local theaters. So you have no excuse if you like, if it's playing near, you have no excuse to not watch this movie. Um, yeah. and it's, it's so good. I, I just like, I'm constantly shocked by how much I love it. I'm so happy it's doing so well. I really like, maybe it just, foolish of me like i weirdly think this has a genuine shot at best picture or best director and um best original screenplay and that is so exciting to me so i like i i love this movie so 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 much i completely agree on the best picture chances because uh i i didn't see it until uh, like a week ago basically at this point um and i was worried i mean i mentioned this early on um that i was worried that all of the hype i'd heard about it being so good was gonna like make it bad which is why i tried to read as little as possible i actually didn't read um except for your review your actual review i didn't read any letterbox reviews or anything like that Mm. because i just was like i don't i don't want to do this you know what I mean like yeah <laughs> I just don't I like I like Bong Joon-ho too much and I just can't so I I didn't read anything about it and then I got in there and I it was it's incredible I mean it's really excellent like it's one of the best class farces I've ever seen you know mm-hmm. um and I think you're totally right I think it actually does have a genuine chance at picture certainly foreign film uh but oh yeah 
Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I, I don't, I can't think of anything. I've, I was just going to say the best thing I've seen this year, like foreign film I've seen this year is, or the most, uh, the other most memorable one is one that was nominated last year. So, like, I, uh, I don't know. It's like it's so fucking good. Um, I think I would, I would love to see some acting categories. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I. Don't I don't know how possible that is going to be though. What what are your thoughts on the acting category possibilities? I sadly don't think it's possible. Like the closest maybe is um I'm going to probably butcher this name like Yao Jung Jo who plays the rich mother in the film. Mm, um, she's so good. Yeah, so not to spoil my eventual lineup, but she's in my supporting actress lineup and um, I also really love Kang Ho Song, who plays the poor father, who is currently my win for supporting actor. And, oh, wow. um, like, especially Yao Jung, um, Jung Jo, she's so funny in the movie. And I would love to see her get any sort of attention. But I just, that might be too much. But, like, pictures, director, and screenplay all seem locked. And even, um, the Neon seems to know what they're doing because it's like, they ha- I've seen four articles about the construction of the houses in this film, and I'm like, yes, like wow. get production design nominations, get cinematography, like it's like, this and they'd all be well deserved. The production design is so fucking brilliant, stunning. It's it is such a good film, and like on all fronts, and I am just like, it's like a miracle to me. I'm like, thank God for this fucking movie, basically. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think those are both good choices. I, I, I would also wish for uh, Sodem Park, I think is her her name, the girl who plays the sister. Oh, she's um, great, too. She's so good. <laughs> what a beast. I mean, they have to cast – they got to fucking cast her in everything. Like, get that bitch over here. Put her in ev- – <laughs> give her a TV show. I don't care. She is so fucking good as this, like, like <laughs> clear sociopath, like – grifter essentially like the sh- i mean you see a lot of it in the in the trailer she's just smoking and like you know fucking so cool. editing a a call it yeah she's like so cool and you're like man i want the spinoff movie of like what does this girl do in the daytime does she just like steal kids ice cream and like <laughs> like I, what's her day-to-day like when she's not like before she was in the house like what is she up to because she just seems like the most uh, like un- enjoyable character and like any every interview I've seen with her too in real life, it's like, where is this coming from? Like, where's this dark <laughs> dark sided twin that she's pulling this out? This Get wild. her on the Billboard charts for Jessica from Chicago, like her great musical <laughs> I debut. <laughs> I sing Jessica from Chicago all the time. <laughs> it is like if Anna Kendrick could get on the Billboard charts for fucking cups, like we can get her on the Billboard charts. Let's do it. Let's do God. it, people. <laughs> Bong Joon, oh my God. Oh, hive. Let's all assemble. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Bong hive. Yeah, seriously. Like, truly, get that. Get Jessica from Chicago a best original song and Oscar. It deserves it. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I, I want that so badly right now. <laughs> Come on, Neon. If you're listening, get it. Make it happen. <laughs> Come through, Neon. Um, we sh- we can, we're going to now start talking about um, some spoiler shit. Uh, turn it off now if yeah. you don't want to hear um, and just find us at Marissa Carpico everywhere and, and Matt, Matt, not Matthew one everywhere else. Um, Seriously, okay, if, so, you, if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening. Like I know yeah. some of you all listen, um, even though we say spoiler alert, don't listen right now. No, turn it off. <laughs> don't do um, All right. So spoiler time. Um, I, I'm going to go. Do you mind if I just jump in? <laughs> please, please go, go, go. Yeah. So I, 
I watched this uh, in a pretty crowded theater, the like opening weekend of of Alamo at least, um, and it was packed. And it was like a later screening, and there was this girl next to me who was very reactive to everything. You know, mm. she was like narrating her menu choices before the show started. I was like, that's annoying, but I bet you this will be fun when things get weird. <laughs> so when when <laughs> when we start there, this like when shit starts to break open and we go down the tunnel, she was basically out of her seat she was jumping around her hands were in her hair she was like what what is, she, what is happening like i don't understand she was like saying it out loud and i was like the girl next to me was cracking up like i didn't even know that chick but she was like cracking up from two seats away over how like emotive this girl was and like i was in the same kind of boat because like when they find that tunnel in the goddamn house and you don't know what's in the tunnel and like like, well, actually, from when the old maid, <laughs> that sounds like a, I don't, the, the maid who used to work there, um, like, knocks on the door. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. going to turn into something else. And it absolutely turns into something else. But as we were running down, as the camera follows the characters down that tunnel, I was like, I don't know what this is turning into. And I'm terrified and excited. And then it, it's wild. It's nuts. I mean, like, the tension is insane from that point on. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you saw it with the you know critics and stuff. What was I mean? Were people just screaming for the last hour? It was sort. Of, there was so much hype for the film go, at Toronto. I mean, this movie mm-hmm. like swept the Cannes Film Festival coverage. It won the Palm. Um, it was like just like all people could talk about, and you could feel the excitement in the theater. It was like opening weekend too, like the second day of the festival, and um, yeah, like once that tunnel gets through, you just heard people like gasping and then it was absolute quiet for the entire second half until the ending and you know unlike you always hear from the Cannes Festival and the Venice Festival about like the insane Mm -hmm. um standing ovations and everything that like yeah people sacrificing their first child in order (laughs) to show how the filmmakers how much they love them so like that doesn't happen in Toronto like in um my entire like, this is my fourth year going. Prior to this year, the only thing that ever got a standing ovation was Moonlight, and the entire cast was there. So I imagine, like, Moonlight's obviously a masterpiece, but, like, I think having the literal entire ensemble there plays a part. But, um, like, yeah, the, the, this day, I saw, the day I saw Parasite, both Parasite and the other time I saw Portrait of Lady on Fire got standing ovations. And I was just, like, people shot out of their chair the minute it ended, and just, like, it was an incredible theater experience. And then um, even my second time watching it at like a, just an AMC in New York City, um, like you could hear people being like, oh, my God, like throughout the entire last last act, my friends were all freaking out the whole time. And then, yeah, that like the entire way through, just like people were so riveted by it. Just like 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 there's one act of violence. I mean, we we're in spoilers, like the act of violence in the end when Jessica gets stabbed is like oh. the 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 there were screams in my crowd both times of just like just like shock and everything and um just I yeah it's, Jessica I was so upset was no so yeah upset. it is um like I recently saw the ferryman on Broadway which is now off Broadway but is one of like the best theater experiences I ever had and that's another movie where like or play where um like everything is leading to this act of violence at the end and mm-hmm. like it's just this like that it's the same thing here of just like you are 
I was in like both even when I know what's coming, like 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 gut ringing intensity. And then it, when it happens, she gets it is just the most upsetting thing. And then it, the way that no, like he can't even fully show his emotional response to it because they like they don't want to blow their cover and it's just like it's the set like the most traumatic thing it is so deeply upsetting to watch yeah i mean the tension in, <coughs> sorry um the tension in that movie from when when the the previous maid shows up i was gonna say old maid again um <laughs> previous maid shows up and you don't know how things are gonna how shit's quite gonna hit the fan um, it's just so incredible. Like, I, I, like it's rare that I can think of a movie where people are like so involved in what's going on on screen that they start to like vocally get agitated. And, and that girl next to me wasn't the only one. I mean, there were other people who were like freaking the fuck out. Like when, when the family returns after the camping trip goes South, mm-hmm. like it was pandemonium. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a genius scene. Theater. Like, oh, it's brilliant. like, um, I think Bong Joon-ho has said this, but I've definitely seen other critics say it. Like, the movie's also, like, in a weird way, a heist film. And, like, yeah. like that sequence of them having the high when the family comes back is just, like, a perfectly constructed suspense scene of, like, you don't know what's going to happen. And, um, oh, and the fascinating thing is the way – have you read – there was somebody who commented on um, – I think there was an article about it. I, I read something about it. But, like um, the the way that that scene is also mixed in with, like, some of the most potent – class um Mm -hmm. metaphors in the whole film of you know the family's coming home and they're asking the 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 mother of the of the poor family to like make ramdan which is like it's just um packaged ramen with sirloin and like nice sirloin these people are rich so they're combining this like you know thing that's made for people who are poor and then like dressing it up to make it more you know something something different and then to to make it like more edible, but you know, they're like that alone is a meta fucking metaphor. Mm-hmm. But then when they get home, the kid who was originally going to eat it suddenly doesn't want it or whatever. Um, and then the, she offers it to the father, the, the, um, the wife, the rich wife. And then he doesn't want it cause he doesn't care. And then she just ends up eating it. She never offers it to her daughter. So it's like this sort of low key patriarchy in, in rich circles, essentially, which is constantly in the film. I mean, mm-hmm. the the biggest villain in it is that fucking father who's just such a just dickhead. Like, you almost would buy it. If, if the twist had been that he turned out to be fucking American psycho shit, like, you wouldn't be surprised. You know what I mean? But that's not yeah. it. It's just, he's, he's just a pig. And, like, like a rich, smug pig. And, like, uh, the way that, like, Patrick is reinforced in that and the, the way that, like, they all don't care about this meal that to anybody else in the house, you know, to the, to the poor family or to any, most of the people in that city essentially is what they're implying is like, would be the highlight of a day. It's just so ignored, you know, and like on a whim, it's like so brilliant. And like, I didn't even re- realize that at the time because I was so like, oh, my God, hide the glass. Yeah. What is going on? You know? Oh, and like him hiding under the bed. It's like you're so wrapped up in it. But like, yeah, like that's a – it's a brilliant read like, – like just reading on like the little details. And my – I think after a repeat viewing, my, um, my favorite thing about the movie might be um, the way the rich family switches just like – your interpretation of them like that whole first act 
like I mentioned, um, the rich mom is like this comic relief. Like she's so over the top and like, I think they even did like naive at one point and um, like, they're just so up their own asses, but like in a way it's like, that's purely funny. Like you can kind of laugh at them a little bit. And then um, that entire last act, it's like there, you hate them so much and you just see like, there's that brilliant scene of the mom going to various stores with um, Mm them. So like, and she's just like, you hear her on the phone and you just become angrier and angrier as the, the scene goes on of just being like, like the humor is gone. It's just you like, you're like, what like a horribly dense human being who is so unaware of what's going on around her. I'm like both like literally and on like a theoretical level. And yeah. um, well, again, it's like literally like she is like saying like, Oh, we're planning this little party because his birthday got rained out. And it's literally like the most insane party you've ever seen. There's like all these fucking tables and all this rich food and all these like chefs and crap. And like the, and she's standing with the father of the poor family who, who literally has just their house just flooded in a horrible fucking rainstorm that actually hit, you know, half the city. Mm-hmm. basically and like destroyed people's homes and here this woman is just like chatting on the phone about some kid's birthday party like no no concern for the fact that there are people dying out there it's so brilliantly staged and i think every actor plays that so well mm-hmm. and then at the end like <clears throat> you know you have the this the poor father stabbing the rich father and it's the sort of thing where it's like it it's if it, it's like you have to be able to sell that like split second decision so well and it totally makes sense and you're like i absolutely understand why this just happened and and you want i like even though it's going to ruin the 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 the, their cover it's like you want that to happen because it's like he is such a fucking pig yeah it's like i like people cheered i think in yeah i forgot which one of my screenings people cheered and it's a sort of thing where it's like it's a funny thing because i i don't usually cheer during movies anyway but like um it's like it's funny because at first you're like like what the fuck but then you're like yeah it makes sense like of course like it's like what a terrible person like finally getting some sense of punishment like yeah and it's a it's a metaphor, but it's also like you know it's all over anyway. Why not fucking kill this asshole? <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. Like it's like you're all gonna go to jail anyway. Maybe it's like just like yeah. go out on top. Like, yeah. Um, oh I will say, like, given all of all of that um, madness that that sort of all the tension and the madness and the way that that violence suddenly sparks. I was shocked by how uh, like bizarrely moved I was by the final button, like beats in the movie. Oh, let's Um, talk about that. Yes. Oh my God. Because the metaphor there is like this, this idea of like you, you are, it's, it's all about the struggle of like, it's this brilliant brief metaphor about the struggle of trying to like change your economic circumstances and how difficult it is. And there's just this idea of this person who, even if he does it, the sort of specter of his poor upbringing is always going to be like in the basement of that house. It's just like wild to me. And like, I don't even know, like, I don't even know funny if that's real. Cause maybe he just like, I mean, he got, he had a pretty serious head injury. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's possible. None of that existed. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it's all all that, that the metaphor of that really I like actually started to tear up at the idea of like, you know, oh, yeah. just all of all of the the way it some summed up the idea of like struggle, the struggle of trying to better your your financial position in the world. Yeah. Um, 
I'll give my – I have a funny story about the ending. Um, yeah, sure. I'll lead with that and then I'll go into my more serious reading. Um, I started Toronto the first time and I was so wrapped up in the film where I almost like didn't react emotionally to the ending at first. It was more just like where is this movie going to go? I was so excited to see where it went next. And I was like, wow, what a powerful ending. And then the following morning I was eating breakfast at like the hotel. Um, I like was sitting at like a little one-person table and I thought of the ending and I started crying at breakfast thinking about it. Like, and I had to hide my face because I was like, this is deeply embarrassing, but like, what a movie. Like, it, like, it, like, just like, it took that long for it to like fully sink in and for me to be like, wow, like, but in all seriousness, it is like, like, this is the English major for me. Like, it's like some great Gatsby shit. Like, it is like, just like yes. this, this ending of, um, I was just like, truly, I'm like, this is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in a movie. And that sounds like hyperbole, but I'm like, no, genuinely, like, I can I can think of only so few endings that have affected me on this way. It is such a powerful note to end on. And I really yeah. thought, and my one of my friends said this too, when I brought them to see it a few weeks ago, um, I thought that shot of the poor father running out of the backyard and then it fades to black was the end and I was perfectly satisfied. And then yeah. it, when the epilogue started, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want an epilogue. And then I was like, no, damn, it is the yeah. perfect note to end the movie on. It is so, so beautiful. Yeah. No, I did the same thing of like, well, oh, this is maybe like, oh, shoot, we, we should have stopped like two seconds earlier. But then it it ends up being so fucking brilliant, that last couple moments of like holy shit like the fucking the thought at work here is so complex and brilliant my god like what a fucking film to make you know yeah it's it really is that sort of film where it's like like you know i've seen a lot of conversations about how like this is the rare international film that is making waves in america it's doing phenomenally at the box office and Mm -hmm. um there seems to be this whole in the case like this mystery of like what made it connect? And I'm like, it's not a mystery. It's like these themes I've never been more like talked about in like mm-hmm. m- recent American history. And like, we're all just like angry. And it's like, it's the same thing of like the mystery of like, why is succession so popular? Or like, why did hustlers make it such a, like make so much money? And it's like, simply like, this is tapping into how we're all feeling. And this movie does it so well, where it's like, I, I'm just like this is like the definitive movie on like I'm like this is like what I think I said this in my review maybe or in my first talked about it like what get out was to racism in America right now this is like to um, economic inequality and I'm like like this Ooh. movie just feels important on so many levels yeah yeah I mean it's it's brilliant I've, I've only seen it once but I, I absolutely want to see it again and like <laughs> someone on Letterboxd who's like is someone I've interacted a lot like it's not a bad uh, interaction in the way that so many have been <laughs> like usually I only talk about the bad ones but like he was like wow I can't believe you're not giving this the customary like 5,000 stars and I was like yeah I, it's only because I just um I didn't know how much like the hype was affecting me do you know mm-hmm. what I mean like in rating it that way um, but ultimately I do like, I probably, like, I'm sure the second time I watch it, I'll be like seven stars. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no. Yeah. I never, like, I, it's funny because earlier this episode I said how I don't really care about ratings, but like, I do care in the sense that I never like to give a movie five stars on a first viewing. Cause I'm just like, you know, sure. like the five stars ratings are important, I think. And like, yeah. Then, but this one, when I saw it, in terms of, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is five stars, but I'm just going to wait. And then I saw it. So I'm like, no, yeah, this is like, like seven stars. Like you said, it's like yeah. this movie just feels special in a way that 
no other movie this year has for me, and so few movies this decade have. Like I'm, I'm just, like I just, I want to take everyone in my life to see it. I'm like this close to just calling up ex boyfriends and being like, like I don't yeah. want to get back together, but I do want you to go see this film, and I will take you if I need well, to. It is the like, most vital member of the Bong Hive, apparently. <laughs> I, I, I mean, if. I don't know. There are some people. Karen Hahn, who is one of my favorite film writers, is like I think the leader of the Bong Hive. But um, I will <laughs> gladly be one of the. I'll be the New Jersey member. I'll be like the New Jersey. <laughs> they had a New Jersey chapter. Oh, yes, of there Bong we Hive. go. Oh boy. Um, but yeah, that's that's Parasite. I do. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? I mean, I, I don't know how much more effusive we can get, except you know, sacrificing our firstborns. Like I said, yeah. Um, just like honestly, if for whatever reason you're still listening and you haven't seen the film yet, which shame on you. Um, like go fucking see it. It is insane to me that like. Like it's insane that there are people in my life who haven't gone to see it yet. I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? Basically, I'm getting mad. Like, yeah. go go see this film. <laughs> I was starting to get angry at not being able to see it yet. I was like, you know, it's it's economic or is financial <laughs> stability really worth not paying ten dollars to see it? And and obviously yes, based on the film. But like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was a time where I was just so angry I hadn't seen it that I almost was like, fuck it, I'll go broke. <laughs> no, yeah, it it really is. Like I was. Um, so I have AMC A-list, as I mentioned, and I – like the next two weeks – I am like a super nerd about my A-list and I have like like a, sp- a document where it's like, OK, this week I'll see these three movies and this week I'll – and like it's hard because of just how much is coming out of like to fit in another viewing of Parasite. And I'm like, am I about to pay real money to go see Parasite? But I might because I'm just like I want to see it more and more times. Like – Every Thanksgiving, um, my family goes to the movies, and like I usually am the one who like leads the charge, whatever movie. And you know, the the easy answer is like Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood or, or um, Knives Out. But I'm like, I think we're gonna go see Parasite, Taylor family. So like, hey. so get ready, get ready. <laughs> God, go see this movie. Wow. Yeah, people need to see it. It's uh, brilliant. I love <laughs> your family's gonna be like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> It's brilliant, though. I, I can't wait. I hope I can have time to see it again. It's just at this point, it's just a question of zero time, unfortunately. But yeah, I really want to see it again because it's like like watching it. You can feel like, oh, this is an all timer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But best yeah, I hope. Yeah, I hope. I mean, it would be wonderful. I, of, of, you know, I have to say of the stuff I've seen this year, I can't think of a lot of stuff that I would prefer one best picture. Yeah, it's really, I think, a three-way race right now between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Irishman, and this. And it really just a matter of what can maintain momentum going into the new year. And I don't know. It's this. Everyone who sees this movie is just, like, ecstatic about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had multiple conversations with people that are like, um, I couldn't – I didn't think it, it could possibly live up to the hype, but holy shit. So, yeah. Um, all right. That is our – uh, sort of, you know, our current Oscar podcast. I'm sure we'll have another one coming up soon once we've seen The Irishman and shit like that. Um, we already plugged our socials, but may as well do it again at Mercy Carpico everywhere for me. And you can find me on the site. I think I'll have Honey Boy coming up. Oh, which we can talk about after. Well, I guess we could have talked about it on this one, but it's too late. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about it next time. Uh, all right. Uh, how about you? Um, I do not have anything major coming up um, in terms of writing. But um, our wonderful writers at the site are covering all the Apple Plus 
or Apple TV Plus and um, Disney Plus, neither which I will be subscribing to, but good for the people that have. <laughs> um, and even though I do want to watch um, Sexy Emily Dickinson, but um, like as we discussed, money is important. And um, mm-hmm. so that's what's on the site right now. And you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd. And our um, Oscar retrospective pod is coming back soon, um, hopefully next month. So that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we will have enough recorded by then. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.